would open your Bibles to the book of St. Luke chapter 4 tonight. St. Luke chapter 4. Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. All of God's people said. One breath away, one step away, I think it was David mentioned in the Old Testament, just a step away from death. The next step you take may be your last. Last night we was witnessing to a guy and he uh, was a little confused about a lot of things, wasn't sure about his salvation and so forth. And uh, he said, I want to live or I'd have trouble living right. I believe I'm a Christian. Anyhow, I gave him Philippians 4.13 and uh, he said, let me write that down. He took the track and he wrote Philippians 4.13 and then he hugged me and said, thank you for giving me that scripture. I'll use it. I promise you I will. I'll read the track. And also, I will remember Philippians 4.13 because I have a lot of difficulties living the Christian life. When you read the Bible, you find a lot of folks think it's easy just to get saved. It is. As a matter of fact, it's so simple that a child, mentioned Sunday morning, should not hear therein neither a wayfaring fool. It's very simple to be saved. It's sort of like getting married. You can get married and say, I do, but that living together was tough. You know, the next several years as you live your life together, same way the Christian life. The devil gets mad, and God gets glad. The devil hates God. The devil, the way he gets to us is through, or gets to God, is to get through us. So if he can bombard our doors and hinder our life and keep us confused and doubting, then he's winning victory. I don't know how it goes on with the conversation between the devil and, and the Heavenly Father in Heaven, but the devil does have access to the throne. He has access to the heavenlies, according to Job chapter 1. And because of that, I'm sure there's dialogue that goes on between God and the devil. I'm not sure if I understand all that or not, but I'm glad I'm on the winning side. I'm glad it's been settled. I'm glad the Lord Jesus is my Savior. But what we need is the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God. Nothing greater in our life as a Christian than being able to have the anointing of God upon our life. Let's stand together and read together, if you would, verse 16, chapter 4 of the book of Luke. I'm going to give you just a statement of review, and then I'll give you uh, the rest of the outline that I was working on last Wednesday night uh, with the help of the Lord. And he, that's Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and his custom was he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Now just imagine, synagogue taking place, church taking place, Jesus walks in, they give him the book, he turns to Isaiah chapter 61, and begins to read. The Spirit, capital S, of the Lord is upon me. Say that with me, please, ready? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me. Say that, please. Because he hath anointed me. To preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To preach deliverance to the captives. And recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty them that are bruised. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Over top of those verses write the words appointed and anointed. He was appointed and anointed for a purpose. And scriptures being fulfilled right in the very presence of the rabbis and those gathered in the synagogue. This was the Lord Jesus Christ. He could say it unashamedly, dogmatically. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me 
Remember when the dove came, laid upon his shoulder at the baptism, and God the Father looked down and said, Behold, beloved, my, this is my beloved Son, whom I'm well pleased. The ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ is continuing in Luke chapter 4. He was appointed for a work and a ministry to do the will of the Heavenly Father. He realized he needed the anointing of the Holy Spirit because all is vain unless the Holy Spirit comes down, enables us, equips us, shows us how to live and what to do. And that's a time-consuming thing. It means spending time with God. And Jesus had spent 40 days in the wilderness communing with God, being tempted to the devil, but he was being prepared for the ministry that he would have in about three years of time before he'd be crucified and then resurrected from the dead. Father, help me to just be as slow as possible tonight in talking, sometimes with my anxieties, with the thing I'm battling, I sometimes get a little speedy. I trust you'll help me just slow down and speak distinctly. I pray, God, you'll speak to my heart and through my heart. May I convey the message that you want conveyed tonight. All, all of us need the scripture that's just been quoted. Billy Sunday used to put his finger on it every time he preached, an old evangelist, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And Lord, I want to be able to say the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I want everybody in our church to be able to say as they live the Christian life, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And may God help us tonight to glean the truth that will be of help to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I said last week, here is our pattern for our service. Three times the personal pronoun me is given. The Lord is upon me. He has anointed me and sent me to heal the brokenhearted. There is a pattern that's here for all of us. There's three things that Jesus was that I need to be. Three things that Jesus did that I need to do. Those three are these. First of all, we are to be like him and what he was. We are to be like him and what he was. What was he? What was Jesus? I know he's a person. What's the, what's the role that he had when he came to earth? He was the Son of God, wrapped in human flesh. The third, the, the second member of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, that's always been, always will be, through ages past, condescended down to become identified with man so he could understand us and the temptations we face. So when he went to the cross of Calvary, he carried all the sins of all the world in his own bosom, and there Jesus Christ died for the sins of everybody. But he was there fulfilling the will of God. He was the Son of God. He not only was the Son of God, he was the Holy Son of God. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26. And it's important for us to get those two together. He was the Son of God. We are to be like him what he was. How many of you are children of God tonight? Amen. Amen. How many of you are children of God tonight? We have received Jesus Christ, but as many as received Him, to them gave He power or authority to become the sons of God. So I am a child of God. I am not the Son of God, but I am a Son of God. I'm in pretty good position right now tonight, and so are you. We are in the family. I'll get to it in just a minute again. We are in the family of God, and that's personal. And so we have become sons of God. Not everyone's in the family. God's not everyone's father. As a matter of fact, the devil has a group of children too, and he's the father of the evil ones upon the life. When you get saved, you change father, you change families. You go from the family of the devil to the family of God, and we become, we become heirs and join heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. So we talked about being in the family last week. We talked about being adopted in the family of God, where I left off 
Being adopted in the family is a change of position legally. I've been adopted in the family of God. I mentioned our son Andrew. He's 42 years old, and uh, we adopted him when he was nine months old. We went to Whataburger for our first meal together, sitting there, and the waitress come over and said, uh, would like to take your order? And so we sort of introduced Andrew to her. She this is our son. And she didn't know he was adopted. She said, he looks just like y'all. Now, I don't know if she was just saying that would be nice to get a good tip or not. But she said, he looks just like you. He looks just like Nancy. And uh, I thought, that's nine months old when we took him on. The, the first burger we ever had was a Whataburger. And I don't think he ate it. I think he probably just looked at it. Uh, Nancy and I ate the hamburgers. And he just sat there and googled. But the fact is, he was named by us. We was able to give him his name, and we have the legal document that he's been adopted in our family. And I'm grateful for that blessing tonight, that it goes one step beyond that. I've been adopted in the family of God. Amen. He loved me. He didn't, he didn't choose me because I was good. He didn't choose me because I was anything particular talented. He chose me because I was somebody in need. And he wanted to give them a family and give them a home. Not only an earthly home, but a heavenly home. And thank God for that. But here are the benefits of adoption. Let me have a microphone. Somebody, is Paul upstairs? Somebody grab a microphone. To Tommy? Not to me. Just take it with you when you go. I want you to, I want you to walk around. Doing well so far. All right, now just move the back of the auditorium. Okay. I want some folks to volunteer to read the scriptures for me tonight, and Tommy will bring the mic over to you. I want somebody to read Luke 12, 27, 31. Raise your hand, volunteer. You don't mind reading. We'll stay here until you get the volunteers. All right. You can't go to heaven if you don't volunteer. Miss Debbie, right here, give her the microphone. She'll be first. Luke 12, 27 through 31. The next verse will be 1 John 3, 1. Somebody volunteer for that. I'm already slow tonight. John, 1 John 3, 1. 1 John 3, 1. Anybody going to volunteer? 31. Okay, Miss Debbie. Another Debbie. Debbie's a volunteer. So she'll be next, Tommy. After Miss Debbie. Who, who's that? Yeah, I'll, just, I'll tell you again who it is. Just give her the microphone. There you go. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> All right. Now go right ahead, uh, Miss Debbie Lewis. 27 through 31. Yes, right? 27 through 31. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not, and yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass, which is today in the field, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not ye what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father which knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. And all God's people say that. Amen. That's a beautiful voice as, as other folks read the scripture, especially those online hearing somebody else's voice, I think adds to the service. And I appreciate the good reading that was given just now. We'll come back to it in just a moment. Family care. Number one, I'm adopted. I have the family care. Number two, Debbie, did you pre? 
1 John 3, 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. All God's people said, I have the family name. I have the family care in Luke 12, 27, 31. I have the family name in 1 John 3, 1. I'll amplify on in just a moment. Who's next? Peter Fisher, Scripture, Romans 8, 29. Anybody volunteering? We're not going on to volunteer. We just we stay here all night. You ought to be like the when school when the teacher asks who wants to go outside and dust the erasers. We all want to go outside and dust the erasers. So we look back inside. You know, the volunteer to do read the holy scriptures. Darren, can you read there? No, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Give it to Amy. No, Romans eight twenty nine. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the, the firstborn above many brethren. Outside that verse, we could say amen. He's, we have the family likeness. We're to be like the family. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 through 11. This is the longer passage. Somebody else want to volunteer? There you go. Right here in the middle. Raise your hand. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 through 11. You can turn there and follow along with her and read the scriptures. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 through 11. Where is it? Where's 5? And ye have forgotten the exhortation which she speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then all are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Amen. 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 Well, what we get there is the family chastisement. If you're in the family, you'll get whooped up on once in a while by God Almighty. Remember the last one? First Peter chapter one verse three through five. First Peter chapter one one through three through five. Somebody volunteer? Slowly but surely. Somebody's pointing somewhere. Cindy. Calhoun. First Peter. Peter chapter one, verse three, four and five. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Amen. All God's people said that's the family inheritance. 
Now let's go back and tie those all together right quickly. And because I'm in the family, there's some benefits being in the family. There's some tragedies being outside the family. As a matter of fact, tragedy is going to end in hell if you're not a Christian and how tragic that is. But you'll never have the joy of the Lord outside of the family of God. It won't happen. You can have some temporary fun. You can laugh. You can maybe act like things are well. But you don't have joy because joy is an ingredient that comes from the inside of a Christian. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and so forth. But when we got adopted, when we adopted Andrew, we decided at nine months old that he could stay with us. And uh, he would live with us as long as he wanted to. And uh, then he got to be a teenager and we was hoping he'd leave. <laughs> no, no, just kidding. But he had the family care. Did you know that he could live in our house and have the roof over his head? Did you know that? Isn't that amazing? And he would sit down and eat at our table. Nancy would cook. And Andrew, eventually, as he began to grow, he began to eat. And sometimes he had food all over the place. But after Nancy started working on the biscuits, uh, Andrew started making fun of her biscuits. He called them hockey putts. And, uh, but uh, he would eat about anything you said before him. But he was welcome to the food as long as he didn't waste it. I mean, he's in the family. Uh, I think he has a right, don't he have a right to eat if he's in the family? I mean, they're going to starve your kid and put him in the back room and say you can't eat unless you're doing some chastising after a while. But the Bible says that uh, all of our needs are supplied through Christ Jesus our Lord in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. By His grace, all of our needs are supplied. The Lord promised in the Word of God and I don't know how much we believe this. You know, we, we Christians are good at believing, saying we believe the Word of God. We read the Word of God. We say we believe it, but we don't practice it too well. He promised to supply all of our needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? Amen. Well, let's try it one more time. Do you believe that God promised to supply all your need according to His riches in Christ Jesus? Amen. All God's people echo saying amen. And then when things get tough, we sometimes wonder where God's at. So human we are, so much like the humanity that we're born into on the other side before we can become family of God. But uh, you read Philippians, first chapter, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. There's in first, I mean, that's chapter four. But chapter one, he says, for, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You come to chapter two, you find this verse of scripture, let this mind be in you. There's a plan. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. You get to chapter 3, there's a point. He says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Then you get chapter 4, by God's grace, chapter 4, verse 19, my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. You put all those four together, you've got the Christian life. You've got it summed up in four verses and one, one book of the Bible, Philippians, which is a book of joy. And he says, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice in the Lord. And Paul wrote that book from prison to, fit to the, the church of Philippi. And uh, behind prison bars, Paul could still have joy. He had something that the world didn't give him and the world didn't take it away. So he had the family care that God was going to supply his need. Not his greeds, but his needs. And so often we say the Lord didn't come through. The Lord always comes through. I was thinking about this morning. Somebody says, Preacher, God don't always supply your need. He promised he cannot lie. Uh, you say, what about folks who go hungry? God may still supply their need miraculously. 
there's some folks that God, especially his, his children now, I'm talking about as the family of God. There's some folks, death becomes a blessing. See, we don't see through the eyes of God. It's better to go to heaven. Paul said, I have a, I'm in a straight betwixt two. I have a desire to stay, but I also have a desire to go. And we Christians, we, as we get older, uh, we come to a place in our life, we realize how important it is to be saved. We have a longing to go, and some call it heaven, some call it paradise. We do call it home. In my Father's house are many mansions. Amen. If we're not so, I would have told you. I go prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He's building us a mansion in glory. And one day, by the grace of God, we'll arrive there. But I have family care. I have the family name. I told you last week we was able to name Andrew. We call him James Andrew Pauley. By the way, the same God who sees the sparrow fall from heaven watches over you. The one who counts the number of hairs on a person's head knows how many's there. He cares for you. God, the sparrow is not worth but about a penny. Two or three fatherings, whatever it was, wasn't very much money. Wasn't very much at all. But he watches. The Bible says he watches over the sparrow that falls from heaven. My soul. Probably the lowest of all the birds, the little sparrow flying around. One scripture in Psalms talking about the sparrow being in the being in a room upstairs, lonely by itself. God sees every bird that falls from heaven. You say, I don't believe that. Well, take it up with God. God sees everything there is to be seen. He knows every individual, knows every bird. If he knows the stars by name, I think he knows the sparrows by name too. And when one falls, he's mindful of it. And you say, how does God do that? Well, let me tell you how God does that. He's God and you're not. Just remember, he's God, you're not. He can do the miraculously, the miraculous things. He can look beyond the veil that we sometimes operate. Even though we're saved, all the scales have not been lifted yet as far as understanding. We pray that prayer, open mine eyes that I might see. Open their eyes that they might see. And God wants us to be able to see the wonders of his beauty of his life. So the family care is there. The family name. In 1 John 3, 1, when he talks about the fact that uh, we know not what we shall be like, but we know we shall be like him. And we also know that we are called the sons of God. We are called the sons. That's our name, called. And see, when you got named, somebody called you a certain name. They, they had a name picked out for you. You may not like it. Somebody else had the picking. Somebody else picked out your name for you. God picked our name out for us. We're called sons of God. And if you want to put an addendum to that, we're called Christians. 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 C-R-H-R-I-S-T. Christ. Then I-E-N. Somebody says it stands for I am nothing. But I belong to Christ, so I am somebody. And because of that, he calls me a Christian. And behold, they called them Christians everywhere they went. It first started out as a word of persecution. You know why? Because they acted like Christ. They, they act just like Jesus Christ. Well, we were called the sons of God. We are the sons of God because being the sons of God, we are involved in the work of the Lord and what He was. He was the Son of God. He was the Holy Son of God. I am now a son of God. My name has been inscribed in the books of heaven, inscribed in blood. My name is there. James Marvin Pauley is there. And you know if there's more than one James Marvin Pauley in the world, God knows which one's which. He knows everybody's different. Everything about them is different. No two are the same. And he knows us He knows us for who we are. And we've been saved for eternity. Our name's been penned in the book of life. And because of that, I have 
the family name. And by the way, when you wear the family name, don't embarrass it. You ever tell your children, now you remember who you are when you go out tonight. You remember who you are. Don't, don't do an injustice to our name. See, Christian families, as they begin to live, have a, have a reputation. People know more about you than you realize. And sometimes your neighbors are more no, notable than you realize, too. They know when you go to church. They know when you go out. They probably see the Bible in your hand. They may know all about you more than you realize. But the fact is, I'm supposed to be like Jesus Christ said last week. I am an ambassador for the Lord. So are you. I represent the Lord here. He represents me in heaven. He's my advocate in glory. He's my go-between. He's my intercessor. Thank God for that. When he went back to heaven, he sat down the right hand of majesty, and he ever liveth to intercede for you and me. So he's up there representing us tonight. Dear God, through the Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, hear my prayer. Boy, I sure blew it today, Lord. Would you forgive me? And the Lord turns to the Father and says, he wants forgiveness. And the Father says, he's forgiven. You know why he's forgiven? Through the name of my son, through the blood of Calvary. There's something great about that, being in the family. It's a tremendous benefit that I can talk to God. And I talked to him this morning. Have you talked to him already today? Have you spent some time talking to the Heavenly Father? You know how you do that through the Lord Jesus Christ. And because he's our intercessor, we're able to talk straight to the Heavenly Father. We can call Father, but we're always going through the fact that Jesus Christ is there. He's the intercessor and the go-between between God and humanity. Even when a person gets saved, they have to go through Jesus Christ. So the family name, the sons of God, thank the Lord for that. The family likeness, Romans 8.29, we've been made to be conformed to the image of God's dear Son. So what God does is this. He saves us and He, he conforms us from the, from the foundation of before there ever was a world. Before anything was ever made, God had ordained that every individual would become just like Jesus Christ. I mean by that, they would be conformed to His image. They'd be like Him. I don't know what I'm going to be like, but I know I shall be like Him. I'll be like Him. Now, the joke, or not a joke, but maybe a humorous thought is, He died at age 33, so all of us will be 33 years of age in heaven. If we're going to be like Him on the physical side. That's not a bad age. Anybody here 33? Nobody. Nobody. Anybody here 23? God bless you. Good to see you tonight. Anybody here 43? God bless 43. <laughs> Fred's wishing. But we're all going to be just like Jesus Christ. And when he was glorified, he told Mary in the garden, touch me not for I not yet ascended. And then he told Thomas to touch him, remember? One he told not to touch, the other said it was all right to touch him because I think something happened between those two events. I think the Lord Jesus went up to glory and applied the blood to the mercy seat in heaven. It's, it's done. The blood's been applied. And thank God for that truth today. But we have been made to conform to God's dear image. So I'm supposed to be like Jesus Christ. Well, I ask myself today, how am I doing? Sometimes you need to have a good talk with yourself. The first sign of insanity is not talking to yourself. Talking to yourself is the first sign of spirituality. Now, Lord, how am I doing? I'm supposed to be like you. And Lord, show me where I'm not. And sometimes it don't take very long for God to point out where you're not like Jesus Christ. Can I ask a personal question? Don't be embarrassed to answer the question by raising your hand. Because all of us do it from time to time. How many lost their temper this week already? Would you raise your hand? Hold it for just a second. 
One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Nobody, nine. Miss Judy, thank you for being on the nine. That's your mother, Cindy. Nine. Anybody else? Nine folks lost their temper this week. Sorry, good for nothing. Low down scallywags of people who would lose your temper, the audacity to lose your temper after God made you. That's just why he's such a forgiving God. And I'm getting more amazed about this. I don't want to justify my sins and say, well, that's the way I am. I want to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ because that's what I'm supposed to be. And when I fail to be like him, when I lose my temper and I have, all of us have done from time to time, and sometimes more than we should, you know, it's not because you got sort of red hair or something makes you mad. Some of it, the reason why you lose your temper is because you got the devil in you. No, that's not right. He's out because God's in. It's that old flesh that's still there that we all have. So we say things we ought not say, do things we ought not do. But we're supposed to be what He was. He was the Son of God. He was the Holy Son of God. If He was the Holy Son of God, He wants me to be the Holy Son of God. Not thee, but a. I'm supposed to be like Jesus Christ. So He said, if you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. There's no greater book in the Bible than First John, the five chapters. It'd be good to read it all the time, regularly, and just see where you line up with God. He's pretty tough. He's pretty tough in that passage. But I'm glad he shows the grace and the mercy. And he's more willing to forgive than we realize. He is quick to forgive. He's just waiting on you when you call out. The problem with us sometimes, we get in our pride. We don't want to confess our sins to God. As I was talking about Sunday, about the lady who didn't want to say she was a sinner. She kept justifying it. I'm not really too bad. I'm a pretty good person. When you line yourself up with somebody else, you may look pretty good. But when you line it up with the Word of God, your righteousness, my righteousness, is as filthy rags in the eyes of God. But I'm glad that I can be like Him in what He was. He was the image that I'm supposed to be like. And the goal of my life, the goal in your life. So I think a good inventory, in addition to these, the lows, the temper. Maybe I go down a list of sins tonight. Let's see. Just list all the sins. There's a bunch of them. And then what I'll do, I'll preach on each one on Sunday. And then I've got illustrations of seven or nine to raise their hand. I say, y'all stand up, y'all guilty. Stand up, stand up. Not now, but then. And then I get the other sins and I put all those down. And then have illustrations of people who committed that sin that week. Boy, that'd be some kind of service. Would you like for your name, would you like for your life to be put up in front of the screen on the screen tonight? What you've done this past week? What you thought? And don't sit there like you're angels. Most of us realize we battle the flesh. And the sooner you realize you battle the flesh and God wants to help you with the flesh, and be crucified, put it back on the cross where it belongs. But the fact is that family likeness should be ours, conformed into His dear image. And then the next one, family chastisement, Hebrews chapter 12. He talks about chastening, which is instruction and teaching. He talks about scourging. Scourging is the same thing Jesus went through. He got a whipped and they whipped him. And sometimes the, the, the Lord does various ways of chast, chast, I'll get it out. He does certain ways of chast, he does, he does. <laughs> he really does. Chastising folks. You ever been chastised by God? Amen. And know you've been chastised by God? Have you ever been taken to the woodshed? How many of you as adults in this room tonight got whipped by your dad or mom when you was a child? Would you raise your hand? God bless you. What happened to that discipline? Now they've got to go over and sit in the corner. And there may be a time for sitting in the corner. Sometimes you've got to get out of the corner 
and get your bottom whooped. That's the reason why God made the cushion back here. Because from time to time, children need spanked. Sometimes it may be a verbal verbal chastening, chastening. But sometimes there has to be some discipline that takes place. And the Bible says, those that God loves, He chastens. Jesus loves me this I know, for the Bible tells me so. So I open myself up, Lord. Then if I need to be chastened, chasten me. And sometimes God has to whip pretty hard. Sometimes He does it easy. Sometimes it's like this. Don't you do that again. The Holy Spirit quickening your mind, your conscience. Don't do that again. You shouldn't have done that. You folks who lost your temper. Don't you do that again. Are you listening to y'all that lost your temper? <laughs> the meanest people in our church now knows lost your temper. We want an altar full just in a minute of y'all. If you had to confess it, come and confess it. But sometimes it's not just a slap on the hand. Sometimes it's severe. I use Tommy a lot, the illustration. Most of you know, and I'm not going to relive his story. But he's sitting in church tonight because of God chastening through the death of his son. Now, I didn't say that. He said that. God got his attention through the death of his son. Been out of the will of God for all those years when God got his attention. And he said these words to God, you got my attention. You see, sometimes God has to take somebody you love to get your attention. He doesn't always do that, but sometimes he does. Somebody says he has no right. Listen to me very carefully. He has a right to do anything he wants to do anytime he wants to because he's God. You say, well, I don't understand that. I I don't understand God completely. That don't mean I don't believe in him. I'm not trying to, I can't figure out God. If I figure out God, then I'm God. If I knew everything that was in his mind, I'd be God. So I need a God I can trust and one that's out there for me to depend on. And sometimes I've been whipped pretty severely in my life. Sometimes I'm going to stay with, to say with somebody of old, stay your hand. You know, all of us get in situations sometimes when we are rebellious against, it's not the big sins that we talk about sometimes. It doesn't mean you murdered somebody or committed adultery or all those sins that we sometimes put up here as big sins. Sometimes it's just that heart rebellion. Sometimes it's just that, just that attitude toward God that we're complacent. That we're just, you know, it's not really exciting to us anymore. We lost the joy. When David committed adultery, that was bad with Bathsheba. It was bad when he murdered her husband, Uriah, and uh, had him killed, put in front of the battle and killed. It was bad when, Nathan, when he tried to cover it up. It was bad when Nathan had to put his finger in his face and said, David, thou art the man. But in that repentant prayer, he said, Restore unto me the joy. You see, the chastening hand of God was bad and his guilt in hell what he did. But his relationship with God was even more important than the other, other things. He said, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Not my salvation. Restore unto me the joy. And I found this true in my own life and I think you may testify to it. When you backslide on God or get out of the will of God or rebel against God, you'll lose your joy. The joy won't be there. Peter said it's joy unspeakable and full of glory. And yet sometimes we just live our life and think it's all right to sin against God. God hates sin, period. In your life and my life, God hates it it to the max and He'll deal with us accordingly. I leave that to God. I don't want to be chastened severely by God. Uh, Johnny Pike just preached for us the other day, remember? Johnny Pike alluded to it. He didn't go into the full story. He was running from God. He wasn't doing God's will. little child, five-year-old, got sick. Had to go in for an emergency surgery. And 
Doc said, I think everything's going to be all right, Brother Mr. Pike. Everything's going to be fine. They were sitting outside the labor outside the emergency room or the door in the surgery room, just praying, asking God to help the little child, five years old, beautiful little girl. You see, Johnny had a bunch of boys, and Debbie girl. He had three boys and one girl, five the apple of his eye. And all those double doors open. The doctor walked out, his head down. And Johnny said, is everything all right? And he said, Mr. Pike, we lost her. She died. Johnny Pike said his hands went to his face. Oh, God. Oh, God. Thank you for loving me in spite of me. I will do your will. Now, that's what he said. He didn't want to do the will of God. Don't play with God. Don't play with God. Don't play with God. Sometimes we think we can manipulate God. You can't manipulate God. And when He sees our hard heart, sometimes He takes away the best. It's maybe the best to us to give us something better. And sometimes it may be the salvation of some soul, the reason why God takes the love out of your family, to get, to get your attention even more. God is able to do abundantly above that which we can imagine. So anyhow, the family chastisement. Let me see again. How many has been whipped by God? Raise your hand again. God bless you. Praise the Lord. I'm glad God loves me enough to whip me. I'll give this illustration. I've got one more point and we'll go to the house. Years ago, a young man in our church, I won't call his name, he's probably 11 or 12, he said to me one day, he said, Preacher, my mama doesn't love me. I said, she loves you. No, she don't. I said, why do you say that? And he said, it. she never whips me. I've never heard that answered that way. I said, what's that got to do with anything? He said, preacher, if she really loved me, she'd whip me. I just believe that when you do wrong, you ought to be punished. And my mom is not punishing me. Now, that's maybe a weird view looking at it from a child's viewpoint. But he said, I just, sometimes you feel love from a mom when they look you in the eyeballs and say, I love you, but I don't have to spank you. When Andrew was a little older, we had to use a paddle on him. You know, ping pong paddle. That's what he used when he disobeyed his mother. Lying was a mis- You cannot lie in our home. You had to tell the truth. If you, if you got caught lying, it's automatic spanking. There's a few things when he disrespected his mother. He go to the, I said, you go to your room. I'll be up in just a moment. He'd go up the stairs back where we lived in the other house and the first door on the left is where we went. I said, I'll be up in a minute. You go in and you think about what you just did. And so we went into the house, and we was up there for a while. I went upstairs with my ping-pong paddle. It's a really a mean-looking weapon. I said, Andrew, do you know God loves you? He said, you understand that? Yes, sir. Do you know Mom and Dad love you tremendously? But you know when you do wrong, sometimes you've got to be spanked. Do you understand that? He's already crying now. now. They're willing. I mean, they're going to think you're going to kill them. They're going into hysterics. I won't do it no more. I won't, what, what, what you're not going to do no more? Confront your sin, son. What'd you, what'd you do? And so we talked a while, and I said, I love you. And the hardest thing I'm going to do is spank you. Turn around. I took the ping pong paddle, and it may call, you call it child abuse, I call it discipline. I had three licks, is all I gave him. You hit the ping pong paddle on a bare bottom stings. Number two, number three. Preacher, you're so cruel. I said, son, I love you. And he reached out and loved me. He reached out and grabbed me. 
said, I love you too, Daddy. And I said, you sit there until I tell you to come out. I went out in the hall and bawled like a baby. I wonder how God feels when we do wrong. I know He's God. I know He's omnipotent. I know He's all-powerful. I know He may not react the same way we do all together. But you reckon God ever cries in heaven? He said there's no tears. There's no tears after the judgment. Revelation, there'll be tired tears there until then. But God weeps over the air one cares for the dying. Jesus wept on this life at least three or four times in the Gospels. Jesus wept. He's acquainted with tears. But sometimes, can you imagine how the Lord feels when we do wrong and we're being chastened and we don't receive it? Just open up and say, Lord, I love you. And let's close with this tonight. Lord, you can do anything you want to to my life. And the growth of maturity in a Christian life is not easy. It takes, it takes, it takes time. And I'm still progressing. And Lord, you can do what you want to with me. Do what you want to. I want to get to that place in my life. Lord, if you want to take me, take me. If you heal my body, heal my body. But you're in charge. I'll pray for my healing. But if you don't, I know I'm going to heaven by the grace of God. And that's all settled. Mine is not to make all the decisions. Mine to trust the one who makes the decisions. Mine is not to try to have all the explanations, but to bear the promises that He promised in the Word of God. I shall never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll go with you all the way, even to the end of this world. To God be the glory. I'm glad I'm in the family of God, and I want to be what He is. You pray for me that I'll be better, and I'll pray for you that you'll be better, and collectively be a better church, because we came to church tonight. Hear what God has to say. Let's stand together, please. You may have a spiritual need of salvation tonight. Maybe a spiritual need of rededication of your life to the Lord. The altar is always open. Or maybe you just want to come and pray about somebody or something in your life that you're concerned about. The altar is always open. Father, bless the invitation. Thank you for the Word of God. Oh, how powerful it is. How rich and sweet and how wonderful it is. And you took the time over the period of those many, many years to inspire men to write the Word of God. To give us the book, the eternal book, on which all the issues of life are spoken about. And God, may you help me tonight to love the Bible and to love the God of the Bible and to love you with all my heart. And may all of our folks feel the same way. Bless the invitation tonight in Jesus' name.